Hello, welcome to The Social Minute, the podcast that looks at the social network minute by minute. Today, we will be covering minute number 21, which goes from 20 to 20.59 on the clock. In this, we get the end of the ad board where the uh, head of Harvard's network boasts about something and Mark is like, well, you know, you could have seen it in the window, which he should he should know because that's classic, you know, genius uh, behavior in films is just write stuff on windows for some reason. And then we have Eduardo being disappointed that Mark has alienated them from everybody on campus. Uh, and then we start a little bit of computer class. Um, which, unfortunately, this minute we don't get the wonderful punchline, but we'll talk about that tomorrow because, um, I, you know, it is the most subtle use of CGI in a film that you will ever see, uh, is the opening of that note. But we see the note being passed to Mark at the end of this minute, um, and that is where it ends. Uh, I would say where it ends in the script, uh, but the guy just keeps droning on about computer stuff that I, quite frankly, do not understand. Joining me to talk about this minute today is Drew Brett. Hello, Drew. Hello there. I mean, we kind of start in midstream. Mm-hmm. You know, we're already there with uh, the guy who is only identified as Cox. Uh, I spoke about him last week. Um, and I like how, you know, he kind of says that he's in charge of all the computers on the Harvard network and, you know, the level of sophistication that led them to him in less than four hours. You know, Mark already has been a bit kind of spiky in this scene, <laughs> kind of like, you know, saying that he deserves recognition and then kind of leaving it at that. And people are like, for what? And, you know, obviously this is where he says, you know, that's impressive, except that you, if you know what you're looking for, you'd have seen it written on my dorm room window. <laughs> Um, now, what a child's answer! <laughs> yeah, what a child's but the, the thing is, I don't, I don't personally think that Eduardo ever wrote an equation on a window for Mark Zuckerberg to, which is a fairly simple equation, to be honest with you, um, for them to start doing. <laughs> it's a fairly mashing. simple equation, is that you have a background in these kinds of things? Well, no, it's just, it's just, it's just one. It's just basically what you know, like a, it's like a standard deviation, but with one plus. So it's like whichever one you pick gets plus one and then the next one is measured against that number and it's just all it is is just something that counts up and down very quickly it's you know it's not it's not a hugely complicated thing um (laughs) and when you see on the window it's it's like something over something and you're like that like they really needed like eduardo for this yeah they're channeling their inner beautiful mind really for that scene that's kind of what they're going for yeah but I, i mean i I understand why David Fincher did it. Uh, You know, 10 years later, it feels like a bit of a cliche, Ah, but it's a visual way to kind of represent what they're talking about. It's like if everyone's just going to be sitting around and and talking through numbers and things, it's like, oh, I need your formula. Well, let me tell it to you. No, that's not going to be terribly compelling (laughs) on the screen. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So obviously it was handled like that for a certain way. I just feel like obviously 10 years later, it seems a bit cliche. But, you know, I, I again, I like that's a funny line because it's like, you know, if you were really good at your job, you could have just seen it on my window. But at the same time, I think he's like a couple of floors up, and I don't think the guy would have been able to see it on his window, given the time of night. Like, by the time they caught him, it was like three in yeah, the morning. Yeah, seriously, you got to think about, if people are looking at bedroom windows that late at night, they're probably going to get themselves arrested. This is not And you especially don't want it, you know, the, the guy who's like the head of the Harvard Security Network, you especially don't want him to be the one <laughs> controlling around. <laughs> Looking into dorm windows. I don't think that's um, a very good yeah. reputation you want to curtail. And why does this guy... This is something that kind of stood out to me a little bit. A lot of the characters here, 
being here in Harvard and in, in, in Massachusetts, nobody speaks with the proper Harvard accent. And it kind of threw me off a little bit. The more I was thinking about it, I was like, this guy is in charge of security. That's <laughs> not how he would say that. Come on, guys. You, are you, I mean, are you expecting him to go like full Kennedy and be like, in fact, <laughs> if it was a level of sophistication, like, you know, well, like, is that, is, I would have expected. I mean, I don't know how far you want should have been to. able to see the thing from the from the yard. I should have been able to look right up at your window and see it right there. Come on. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I grew up in yeah, New Jersey. I, so what do I know about speaking correctly? Yeah, I, I just remind me of something that I think everyone should check out, which is just a, a thing that uh, Seth Meyers did called uh, called Boston Accent, where he, he does all the he does like a, a gritty oh, drama Lord. where all these people have Boston accents. And it's just amazing because he does one where it's like the British guy who quite can't quite do the accent. <laughs> so it's him. It's him doing a Boston accent through like an English accent. Oh, and it's re- I mean, it's quite impressive. Um, and also he has one where he just pronounces all the different places that are in Massachusetts. So he's like just going <laughs> Worcester. And, you know, I, I can't remember them all, but it's it's worth checking out. Just if you want to get a full flavor of the, the true Boston accent. Um, I don't know if anybody really wants the full flavor of the full Boston accent. That's not a thing we wish on uh, mankind yeah. <laughs> anymore. So, you know, we get that little bit. And then we get probably what I'm going to say is like my least favorite kind of delivery from Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, which line? Um, not Jesse Eisenberg. Sorry, not Jesse Eisenberg. Um, uh, oh. Spider-Man. Gar- the, Andrew Garfield. <laughs> Wait a minute. What movie are we watching? I'm confused now. <laughs> my my least, my least. well, I mean, it's Lex Luthor and Spider-Man having a chat, basically, um, at Harvard, oh, isn't it? Oh, dang it. Um, I just, I, there's this weird thing that um, Andrew Garfield does. It's a choice. Let's put it like this. Uh, obviously, he's English, and he has to do, like, an accent. Uh, obviously, Eduardo Severin was Brazilian, so he doesn't go for that accent. <laughs> um, so he, he does this kind of American accent. It's not quite, you know, Hugh Laurie or um, or Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. Mm. Um, but it's a certain way of talking that I call Popeye talking, which is, you know, when Popeye would just keep rambling on and nobody seems to be paying attention to what he's saying and he'd just be muttering under his breath. Okay. There's this thing that, that there's this line which and I always I kinda you know, I, I hate I hate the way it just it's just one thing in this entire film. I love this film, but it's just this one bit where Eduardo says, How do you do this thing where you manage to get all the girls to hate us? And the way he delivers the line, it's almost like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg isn't even listening to what he's saying. <laughs> and he just keeps kind of going on. And then at the end, like the scene ends with Mark and Eduardo walking off and Mark just going, what? I said, I know, yeah. like as if to get him to stop talking. And it's like, yeah, it's a little bit kind of cringy, like saying, you know, you got all the girls to hate us. It's like, I feel like you're missing the point of. Well, yeah, they, they both have, they have different motivations at that point. You know, Mark has kind of moved past that particular. She said, this is not, this is not my goal, which is kind of demonstrated in the entire first you know, the opening sequence of the film, he's talking to Erica and he doesn't actually talk with Erica. He just talks at her for the longest time. And he's not concerned with that part yeah. of that particular relationship at all. But Eduardo is kind of in the Erica camp where like, he's actually out there to build these human relationships. Whereas Mark is like, if I do the bits and the one five and the other bits and I put those bits together and it makes the thing go, it's like, he doesn't care about academic probation. He doesn't care about them making an example out of him. He's all about trying to figure it out. And, well, what he's interested in comes in a few seconds, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah, so, I mean, obviously he talks about, you know, the blog. And then he says, you know, he shouldn't have written a thing about farm animals and and all this kind of stuff. Um, (laughs) Oh, he's so, so repentant. I know. Uh, The funny thing is, like, um, you know, the the kind of the apology and everything, that is factual. Like, that was in The Crimson. And, you know, I've talked about the article that you can find. Really? 
almost word for word in the film, you know, the apology that he gives earlier in the ad board meeting where he talks about how he's apologized to this group and that group. They're all the ones that are listed in the Crimson article. Um, oh, wow. And so, you know, obviously, yeah, he did. He did kind of apologize. At the same time, he was you know, what, 20, 21 when he did this. So I can understand a bit of the kind of youthful stupidity. Uh, and the funny thing is both of the actors here are playing a lot younger than in real life. Like in real life, they're, you know, they're they're quite a bit old. Even 10 years ago, they were quite a bit older than the characters they were playing. Uh, okay. So yeah, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah, so I think maybe that's why Eduardo's delivery of like, you know, how do you do this thing where you manage to get all the girls to hate us? Like... It, I, I, I don't know, it feels kind of like, it doesn't, like, it feels too much like a movie line. Like, it feels like that's what a mm. best friend would say to another best friend in a film of, like, you know. And then, the, and then the fact that he keeps going on and Mark is like, you know, just stop talking. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I've got yeah. academic probation, you know, and even his, like, when he's, when he's, like, says six months academic probation and Eduardo is like, wow, they had to make an example out of you. It seems like Mark doesn't care about what he's talking. Like, Eduardo is just kind of talking to himself. Uh, there's a few other points in the film where he does that as well, where he just kind of keeps talking and Mark clearly isn't listening to him. And yeah. it's this kind of weird, like Popeye talking that Andrew Garfield seems to have chosen as like a, a method of delivery. There's also a weird kind of breathiness in the lines that he delivers. I feel it feels like I'm being overcritical hmm. here, but just the way that he kind of like the cadence of the line of how do you get, the, how do you do this thing where you manage to get all the girls to hate us? Like it's way too many words. And it's delivered in a way that it just doesn't feel... I'm not convinced that, you know, Eduardo Saverin would have ever said that. Um, you know, or even any person would have ever said that. Like, it seems like <laughs> such, it's such a broad oh, thing. I don't know about that. It feels... I, I kind of... I, I think I understand your particular point about that, where the line feels a little bit wonky. Yeah. Um, how do you do this thing where you manage... It's it's interesting. He says this thing instead of that thing. It's, yeah. He could have said, how do you do that thing where you manage... I wonder if, like, maybe they didn't really know each other. Do you know how well these two people knew each other in real life before these events took place? Like... I couldn't even tell you when the two of them met and, and got to know each other. I think they met in freshman year. It's not it's not terribly clear, but the dorm they're in is actually a fraternity. So, I mean, they mention okay. they mention obviously later on we get to the wonderful party at AE Pi. So that mm, you know they yep they, there's that in the movie <laughs> yeah and that, so and they are so they're they're in that that is the door that's the that's that's the the frat that they're in. And this dorm is is essentially part. It's not like a frat house, but it is you know part of the frat. So obviously they they, they kind of knew each other fairly well, um, you know, because they had been like rooming together, you know, for long before you know all of this started. Um, obviously, you know, Mark Zuckerberg dropped out uh, along with I. Th- think i want to say dustin moskovitz but i'm not 100 sure but you know he he definitely dropped out everybody else uh, you know eduardo savarin got his business degree um and then obviously you know got some money from this whole thing and and basically just yeah. lives and lives a life of luxury this yeah, yeah you know he still has shares in facebook so you know uh, he's doing okay uh, but yeah, I don't. I find that exchange just—it's one of the things where it kind of sticks with me. Where I'm like, I like it doesn't feel that natural, um, and also I don't. I don't think like it's almost. Uh, I don't know. It, it feels like one of those conversations where someone is like, you know, in a film, and they're like, "Hello, brother," and it's like, who who talks to people like that? No one talks to it. like. And I, I just feel the construction of it always stands out for me, and and just the way that uh, Andrew Garfield delivers it. Otherwise, I love his performance in this film, but just this, just that one little tiny exchange is like, I don't, I don't feel a hundred percent convinced that he would have said "wow" to academic probation, and also, you know, they had to, yeah. they had to make an example out of you. Is like, 
six months academic pro- is that really making an example like like it just- and it's not terribly surprising like he goes wow like it like it's a, 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 an unprecedented uh, <laughs> a, a level of punishment no one has ever received six months a- academic probation yeah. in the history of the school it's like okay let's let's scale it down a little bit you know him. five months and three weeks has always been the maximum up until this very moment <laughs> that's why he's so shocked i mean um, it's the standard really so <laughs> yeah. going unbelievably crazy with this this is absurd yeah i also i also find it weird and- because obviously knowing as a as a like viewer even when i saw the film back in the cinema knowing as a viewer that he drops out it's like well, what's six months academic probation there like, well even for like shutting down like their computer system like crashing the network is that really six months probation worth a uh, of a of a violation like maybe it's because i never broke any rules when i was a kid but (laughs) i remember uh, a roommate of mine in college had a virus on his computer by uh, we'll put in quotation marks by accident and it started to propagate throughout the system and all they did was call up the room and say hey look bring your computer down here it's infecting other users and we're like okay sure we'll send them down but that was it (laughs) nobody got in trouble and like i can't possibly it's kind of hard for me to understand it and maybe this is just my not understanding how computers work all that well um yeah six months academic probation and and mark zuckerberg didn't in this particular film doesn't exactly seem like a guy who's going to be affected by academic probation a whole lot what's he gonna do like skip out on the spring formal when it comes around (laughs) this is not something i think is gonna leave a mark yeah and i i think um i think the funny thing as well is he didn't actually crashed the network he in 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 real life if you read the the crimson article he only choked the network to the point where it slowed down <laughs> to the point at four o'clock in the morning no less yeah to the point where basically nobody like no page on the network was loading like it just they Aww. were just sitting there yeah so like it wasn't yeah it, i mean it sounds more impressive to say crash the network but well yeah, yeah. It, it makes better like dramatic sense in the film but in reality it probably stopped people from getting their bit torrent downloads at maximum <laughs> download speed yeah uh, they were going to take two days instead of uh, instead of one day. Um, so yeah, and, and then we go. Uh, actually, I think around this time it would have been LimeWire and uh, and ShareBear. So um, oh man, what year? Do, I can't remember. I know it tells us the date at the beginning of the film, but this is like two thousand. No, it's, it's two thousand three. Actually, it's way too it's way too early for LimeWire, isn't it? Yeah, two thousand three is too uh, early for LimeWire. I think LimeWire I, was I like two thousand four. BitTorrenting things in two thousand three. That was definitely yeah. something on our agenda. I mean, obviously, this is all a hypothetical <laughs> conversation. Nobody. Uh, I mean, if I yeah, ever, exactly, if, exactly. If we were ever people who did BitTorrent stuff, then yes, around that time we may have BitTorrented things, but we did not. I have um, heard that people did. That's a thing that may <laughs> or may not have happened. I mean, oh, I yeah. <laughs> so we actually get what I like as well is um, you know, obviously in the in the opening scene, I talked about it in depth. There's a number of things that are set up. We're going to meet you know two of those things um, in, in the next minute. Um, but in this particular case, you know, there's a point there's a point in the opening scenes where Mark, when he realizes that he's being broken up with by Erica, he says that he's been under pressure in his OS class. And this is the OS class that we then go to. So ah. this is so that that kind of throwaway line where he he's always using it as an excuse, almost as if to say, you know, I took too many Ambien. Uh, for example, um, instead, he's saying I'm under pressure in my OS class. And then we see him in his OS class and we realize he's under no pressure at all no, in his OS class. Um, you know, the professor is, is, is kind of giving us a sample problem. Um, you know, uh, I, actually, I kind of like how um, Aaron Sorkin in the script, uh, which, you know, by the way, we're on like minute 21, but we're already 29 pages into the script. Um, so that's how far ahead Aaron Sorkin is uh, oh. of the runtime at the moment. 
But he describes it where he says, you know, Mark is in his operating systems class. This is considered the hardest class at Harvard. And Mark is one of 50 students with their laptops open as a professor takes them through an impossibly difficult lesson. Now, <laughs> the, the thing that he describes, I don't it doesn't feel like it matches impossibly difficult. Um, but, you know, I, obviously, I'm not like a, you know, uh, a computer guy uh, to use Erica Albright's terminology. So. Um, you know, he, he describes and, you know, uh, you know, let's let's kind of I'm not going to solve it for you or anything, because obviously Mark solves it in the in the next minute. Um, but he talks about having, you know, a 16 bit virtual address with a page size of 256 bytes um, and, you know, using a one level page table. And he talks about I mean, this is where the minute finishes, where it says, you know, you want to have your DMA on your 16 bit system and that's where the oh, minute yeah. finishes i totally um, want to have my dma on the 16-bit systems that's all of my 16-bit <laughs> systems are on the dma yeah so i mean i i think it's interesting because obviously you know uh there's i mean we get to see mark doing his kind of um programming thing when he does face mash um and obviously that's fairly impressive with you know the you know the, obviously blogging whilst getting drunk and also coming up with his website right um you know and obviously that's the thing that attracts the winklevoss twins to him eventually is is the fact that he did all this while drunk and you know set up this website with a kind of just you know without even really giving it any thought um so we've kind of already seen that so i don't i don't know this os class obviously you know a note is being passed to mark and and i guess that's the that's the punchline mm. you know that's why this class is here uh, and it feels like this is just a way of justifying, you know, maybe kind of letting us see Mark in a kind of, you know, in his, you know, in his setting as someone as a student at Harvard. And yeah, sort I, of. Yeah, I, I think it, the payoff truly is in, in, in the next minute as to why this particular scene exists. But it's interesting that for this minute that we're in right now, there's there's no music yet. We haven't gotten anything for a while uh, film wise, but we do start to hear it come in. So I think there's like a little cluing in that we're, we're getting that there's actually something that's going to strike at the, the the essence of the character now because all of his stuff, he doesn't care about the board. He doesn't care about explaining himself. He doesn't care about the class at all. And that's kind of why it's silent that the music is being used as an indicator that something actually important to the character is about to happen. It's a shame we don't know what's going to happen, though. I mean, we're not going to know for yeah. a little bit now. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. Yeah. It's not like really a kind of cliffhanger, but it, we are kind of like at this point where it's like, you know, the notes have been passed. What's going to happen? Oh, I've never uh, seen what happens of, after this. This is the first time I'm watching yeah, so, it. So. <laughs> we'll have to just talk about it tomorrow. But yeah, is there anything else that you feel we need to cover in this minute or do you feel like we've uh, we've got hit all the important points? Um, I listened to some of the commentary on the film just to kind of get a background on, on what other people were thinking about when they were doing this. And they had mentioned that they had found Mark Zuckerberg's college application to Harvard and, and had read through it. And part of evidently Mark's uh, essay that they had to write to get in was about fencing, which is strange. It's not, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a strange thing that, uh, well, any human would write about, but that's okay. College essays and whatnot. Um, so, yeah. th so the two things about that is number one, let's all pray to God in heaven that no one ever finds my college application essays. It's not a good thing. <laughs> let's just not go there. But also, yeah. uh, Jesse Eisenberg mentions that, he looked into fencing. He took a couple lessons to kind of understand what in the world Mark Zuckerberg would find in it. And it led him to understand the physicality of the actual person, the way he stands and the way he holds himself. And it kind of changed the way that Eisenberg played the character. So he kind of sits with his upper half of his body, kind of very stationary, very still. But his legs are kind of free floating and, and moving around, which mirrors, um, I guess, fencing technique. 
I've not a, yeah. a fencer been, so <laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think it's interesting because, you know, uh, obviously, you know, the, the Ivies are not known for their sporting prowess, I would say. Uh, you know, I don't follow all the different, uh, the various levels of the, the kind of the, the college sports in America. Uh, but from what I understand, you know, like the idea of like Harvard's basketball team kind of yielding anyone who is going to get drafted to the NBA uh, would be kind of a, a very, yeah, well, see, you're laughing already. I, hey, I couldn't tell you. I'm not up to speed on Harvard's fencing teams either. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not the one to criticize. Well, I, I mean, I I. I know that I know certainly that that Yale and Harvard have both had uh, you know Olympic level fences. So obviously that sure, is sure. You know, why not? So if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna appeal to you know the people that were that are admitting you to Harvard, it feels like kind of picking the sports where they're actually good. It's probably going to be you know a smart strategy. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, look at the Winklevoss twins come in and they're they're crew guys, so they're massively built and and highly physical and. At the same time, they have to maintain some kind of some kind of intellectual rigor. At the same time, it's nice. See, see, I think it's okay in this particular setting, in like a collegiate setting, as opposed to like you had mentioned before. Andrew Garfield plays Spider-Man. It's yeah. like you're talking about a high school for nerds, and the first thing he does with his Spider-Man powers is goes and, and uses them for skateboarding. <laughs> it's like no. I was like that kid without the powers and whatnot. I was the nerd kid, and skateboarding is not going to be a thing I'm going to use yeah. my powers for when I discover them. So it makes better sense in a, in a collegiate setting because at least it's slightly more believable. We do have things, you know, Notre Dame has the um, football team, <laughs> allegedly. I don't know these things. But I think it makes a little bit better sense here. But it, it is definitely kind of fencing itself is kind of an odd thing i wonder if if zuckerberg trying to take that class because he wanted maybe he played a lot of dungeons and dragons in his day and was looking for a way to kind of wreak a little bit of revenge on those who might you know hold themselves up against <laughs> yeah. him his righteousness uh, well i mean uh you know obviously you know the question that i asked people on monday is did you see the cinema uh i, I mean i've said this pretty much on every episode i think so far i saw it five times at the cinema because i was uh, very much <laughs> A big fan oh, wow. of David Fincher, but I saw it with different people. I saw it like on the first. I think I saw it on the first weekend uh, that it was available, and then you know people weren't free. So then after that, I saw it you know with with different people on on each of the following occasions. Um, and I think I think the final time I saw it was probably the last showing that like was available, like on the final Thursday before it closed. When I was just like, I need to see oh, it one Lord. more time in the cinema because <laughs> the next time I see it, it's going to be on DVD on a small TV. So I just need to take it in one more time. <laughs> I did not get to see it in the theaters when it came out. Um, I had a, a new, a relatively newborn at the time when it was released, so the ability to get away from the house for uh, you know two hours of my own time is not gonna it was not ever gonna happen and it, it doesn't happen very often um i think the first time i saw this was on its home video release uh, uh, on that fabled ancient technology called digital digital video discs um i feel like this is one of the first ones i got through netflix as a matter of fact um when they were bigger much bigger on their mailing dvd subscription than they were on the the streaming platform that has changed the way we look at things entirely so no i miss this in the theater what was it what was it like being in the theater do you remember which theater you went to yeah i i mean i saw it at my local cinema um i think the first two times i saw it it was on screen seven which is the biggest screen and then by the time i saw it the final time i, I have a feeling the last time was on screen 10 which is one of the smaller screens um but i mean i did the same there's have been a few films where i've seen stuff I've seen stuff on like the opening day and then I've also seen it on like the final screening. 
So when Scott Pilgrim versus the World came okay. out, I saw that on like previews, and it was like the first screening, basically, you know, at the cinema. And then the last time I saw it was like about five weeks later on like a Wednesday afternoon where it was the final ever screening. <laughs> um, and I think I did the same with thing, the- I think, with the with I think the Simpsons movie and also uh, Dark Knight Rises. I saw like one of the first screenings on the first day. Wow. And then I literally saw like, you know, two months later almost with those films, the final like screening on a Thursday. Oh, man, the Dark Knight world for like months over here. I don't I can't even imagine. I don't even know how long it was in theaters. It had to have been months. Yeah, I think. Well, I think we. With uh, Dark Knight Rises, it was like it opened. Oh, like, Rises, okay. Opened just before my birthday and then closed sometime in like early October. So it was about like nine, ten weeks. Do you remember the size of the crowd when you went to go see this the on uh, opening day or opening night? Um, I, th- I mean, I think I saw it on like a Saturday afternoon was the first screening, and it, you know the screen was fairly big and it was about half full. It wasn't like a you okay. know, like a, a huge hit. Uh, it wasn't like some films I've seen recently where they've basically been standing room only. Like, they've been completely yeah. sold out. Um, oh, standing room only. Who's going to stand for a two-hour movie these days? You, you can't. And definitely not for a three-hour movie. Uh, yeah, I, I saw it quite a bit in the cinema. You know, that's probably why, you know, a decade later, I've ended up, you know, talking about it on a podcast. <laughs> it, do you think that... Do you think that, because um, you said you saw it five times in, in the theater, is that pretty common for you? Because uh, multiple repeat viewings in a theater for a movie like that? Or is this kind of like, this is the greatest movie you've ever seen in your entire life, and therefore I'm going to see it every three days? No, I've, I've, I've seen a couple of films more times than that. Um, but, I mean, if I like a film, I'll see it a second time. When the first Avengers movie came out, I saw it on, like, the Friday, and then I immediately went back mm-hmm. and saw it, literally sitting in the same seat <laughs> on the same screen. <laughs> 24 hours later on Lord. the on like the the Saturday. What uh, what do you think is the movie you've seen the most often in the theater? Oh, I know that it's definitely Dark Knight Rises. I saw that film seven, seven times. times. Okay. Um, Dang, yeah, that's a lot. So that's 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 the film. Yeah, I mean, I saw I saw the Simpsons movie five times, but like that was mo- like the first two times I saw it twice on the same day. Oh my um, god! And then. <laughs> And then (laughs) I just literally came out. I came out and I was like, I'm just going to go and see like the next screen. And I'm just going to basically go back into the same screen and see it all (laughs) over again. And then and then like a few weeks later, I saw it twice with two different people at two different cinemas. So I saw it with one friend and then I literally caught like a train and then got home and then saw it with a different friend like three hours later. Um, And then, like I said, I saw the final ever screening. I saw the final. I saw the final ever screening, um, and then the film I saw after it was Death Proof. So I did like a double bill. <laughs> wow, there's not two films that don't get too terribly much more di- different from each other than the Simpsons movie into Death Proof. <laughs> I just happened to have like I think like an hour and a like I could I, like the screening of Death Proof was only showing like twice that day, and I like couldn't see the earlier screening, but I got to the cinema like too early for the later screening. So I was just like, well, Simpsons movies on now. I know that that's like 90 minutes. By the time it's finished, <laughs> Death Proof will be on. So I'll just, I'll see that double bill. Uh, anyway, I feel like we said about as much as we possibly can about this minute. So uh, is there anything that you wish to plug? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I am part of the Clashing Sabres Network, which is a Star Wars focused uh, series of podcasts. Um, Brandon and I host a regular show every other couple weeks, but there's other shows on the network, including Forever Star Wars and uh, Don't Burn the Sacred Texts. So if you and anybody else who's listening are uh, big Star Wars nerds and like to hear people argue about it, well, not argue, we, we, uh, we discuss vehemently. 
um, things we like, things we don't particularly care for. Um, you can find us over at theclashingsabers.net. That's, uh, that's where you'll find uh, our articles that get posted, as well as links to all the podcast downloads. So find us over there. And um, I'm on the Twitter thing, at the Drew Brett. And um, again, it's more just me being silly, sarcastic, and, and, and trying not to be as politically angry as I used to be. <laughs> And you can find us on MySpace at myspace.com slash the social minute or on Twitter at social underscore minute or on Facebook at the social minute podcast. Uh, thanks very much for being my guest here today, Drew. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. And I will see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>